we're going to be getting right into the word of the Lord this morning. It looks like you get, look at somebody and say, you've never looked any better. Amen. Now you're going to get a kick out of that after I get into the service a little bit later. Amen. <clears throat> but the message I'm going to be delivering this morning was laid upon my heart back in October of this year when I was preaching on the end times. I'd done a couple of messages on the end times and this message was in my spirit. And due to the death of my mother where I'd missed a service and then deer season came along and then the holiday season of Thanksgiving came, I just felt a need to kind of hold it because I felt like I needed to preach it to the main core of the church. So this morning the message comes from a long awaited delivering time which has created some passion in me to where I really want to deliver it. I feel like it's a very on time message. I feel like there's a warning in it for us as a body of believers and I feel like that we really need to take notice. We have heard a lot a lot of messages on the end times. As a matter of fact, I preached on the end times over and over and over throughout the many years and Josh has been teaching it on his class on Wednesday nights for several weeks and several months now and the end time is a very popular subject right now in our society and well it should be because that's where you and I are living right now. Whether you want to accept it or not, you and I are living in what is known the very end times. However, when it comes to the end time, we hear a lot from Jesus' teaching out of the book of Matthew chapter 24 from Paul's writings in 1st and 2nd Timothy and also from 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, which is known as the book of the event. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians was written about the rapture of the church. And, not, and this is not even counting all the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets and the prophecies concerning the last days of the end times and the book of Revelations and Daniel and Ezekiel and all of that. But when we think of the end time, we think of scriptures of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 5 through 8. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and they shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled in your heart, for all these things must come to pass, but the time of the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, and there shall be pestilence, and there shall be earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows, he said. And we hear also scriptures like Matthew 24, verse 11 through 13. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many is going to wax cold. But he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3 we hear, let no man deceive you by any means, for there shall come a falling away first. And that man of sin will be revealed, the son of perdition. And then 2 Timothy 3, 13 says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. If you'll look in that passage of scriptures, not only do the deceivers deceive, but they're so good at their deception, they even deceive themselves according to the word of God. They believe their own lies and they become damned. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Just in these few verses alone, we see the repetitious nature of scripture warning us and telling us of deception, seduction, and the department, uh, the departure of faith. It warns us of the rise of evil and how the evil men and evil times will accelerate in the last days. They'll wax worse and worse according to the word of God. It tells us that times will get worse rather than they will get better. And everything can be shaken. Everything that can be shaken is going to be 
shaken according to the scripture. The Bible also says in Luke 21 and 26, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things that are coming upon the earth for the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. This just tells us due to men looking at the things of the last days uh, that's going to be coming upon the earth that it's going to cause their hearts to, it's going to cause their hearts to fail. Now that's speaking of not only a physical heart but also a spiritual heart. There's going to be men falling over of heart attacks because of fear. That's what the Bible says. It even says that men's going to depart from the faith. Their spiritual hearts are going to die due to the fact of what they see coming upon the earth. But the message of the end time is not what is causing all of the problem. We do have to be prepared. We have to be ready. And we're not to be ignorant of the things that is to come. That's why God wrote them in the Bible. However, addressing them outside of the realm of faith will cause fear and anxiety and worry and it will cause confusion to actually reign. Paul admits in 2 Timothy 3 and 1 that difficult, hard, dangerous and trying times is to come. That's a fact. You're saying, man, you're really tearing us down. Hang on, we're not done with this sermon yet. But Paul said that know this also in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, that know this also that in the last days, perilous, dangerous times is going to come. Paul said, know this. Did you hear that? We're not to be ignorant of what is coming upon the earth. We're not to bury our heads in the sand and pretend that they don't exist, but neither are we to be controlled and be fearful of them as well. We do not have to fear the last days as a believer. Paul even tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in your mind or be even troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, but by letter from us, as that day of Christ shall come or is at hand. I want you to understand that even Paul says that when you see these things come together, don't be shaken in your mind. Don't be troubled as a believer. Don't let don't let fear grip your heart. As a matter of fact, he says, when you see these things, look up, because your redemption's about to draw nigh. The Lord's about to come. Amen. But Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. And don't let it be afraid. Jesus said in John 14 and 27, peace I leave with you, peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I want you to know, he even said in this world you're going to have persecution, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Over and over and over again we are told in the scripture not to fear. Jesus told us repeatedly that he would give us peace. Scripture after scripture after scripture, and I might want to quote them all, we have the promise of God's peace. I don't think that that peace can be characterized any better than what Paul said in Philippians 4 and 7. And the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is the peace of God that keeps our hearts and our minds in the context of all of these things that's going to be happening in the last days. We are to be not to be shaken, but we are and we're not to be moved, but we are to be steadfast, unmovable, unshakable, always abounding in the love of God and in the work of the Lord. And when you consider the end times, it seems that all the writers that you read are exposing what is to come. They're revealing what is to come upon the earth. But Peter in our text is not exposing what is to come, but his message is on what are you to do. And I want to tell you, it's one thing to know what's coming upon the earth. We don't want to be unprepared. We don't want to be ignorant. But it's another thing to know what to do in the midst of what's coming. And the Peter gives us instruction. Aren't you glad for the word of God to give you instruction to know what to do in the 
end times. Can you say amen? As long as I've been preaching the gospel, I've been preaching over 40 years now, I have always heard about all the different events that is to take place in the last days. I've heard about the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilence, the wars, the rumors of wars. I've heard about the seducers, the deceivers, the doctrines of devils, the demons, the antichrist spirit, the apostasy, the apostate church. I've heard about the great falling away, the rise of iniquity, the departure of the faith, men's hearts growing cold, and the lukewarmness of the age. I've heard about men's hearts filling them because of fear and the rise of darkness that's to come, the one world government, the mark of the beast, the desolation of abomination. We hear of all about these major events that's going to be taking place. But honestly, I have never heard a sermon out of our text in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11 concerning the end times. But notice how Peter starts this text out in verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. He's addressing the end times. Peter makes a shift here and he begins to address the end time crowd upon this statement. Look what he says. He says, be fearful, be afraid, make you a bomb shelter. He says, store up three years worth of food. Go buy all the ammunition that you can. Get ready to draw your sword. He says, don't trust anyone. Become seclusive. Go underground. Hold back on religious and faith practices because you might get killed. Sell everything you got. Store up a bunch of money. Withdraw all of your savings from the bank. Don't trust any banks and fortify your house. Now, we can all laugh at that because we know Peter said absolutely none of that, don't we? Amen? I'm just being a little bit facetious here. But I want you to know, we know that Peter said no such things, but there are many people doing such things right now, and it's all fear-based. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Can I have an amen? We're not to fear the things that's going to come upon the earth. However, there's also people that bury their heads in the sand and saying, well, what will be will be, and there's not anything that we can do about it. So they play the ignorant card, and they find themselves totally unprepared. When is the church ever going to get balanced? We always swing way over here, and then we swing over here, and we find this ain't right. We try to bring it back, and we pass the middle, and we go way back over here again. And the Bible tells, let everything be done in moderation. While some may go to the extremes, yet I do recommend, store you up a little bit of food. You never know what's going to happen in the last days. Have a much supply of food in your house. An earthquake could come. Food go off the shelves just like that. Have enough to feed your family. I want you to know, I also recommend that maybe you store up some ammunition so that you can kill a deer or, or that you can protect your house. It's all right to protect your house, folks. I'm going to preach to you this morning. Get out of debt. Put some cash back. Do everything in moderation, but don't go to the extremes. And that's just good common sense advice from a pastor, okay? Don't go way over here and don't go way over here. There's a middle ground that we have to do. We have to be prepared, but we don't have to be fearful and do crazy things. Can I have an amen? And when we examine our text, we learn that our lifestyle in the end times should be characterized by at least three things. The first thing that Peter refers to and addresses is in regard to our mind and to our soul. I want you to know the greatest battlegrounds in your mind right here. Right here's where everything begins. Right here's where everything is finished. If our mind and our emotions are not healthy, then nothing about us is healthy. Our thinking controls everything, and it reveals who we are and what we are to become. As the, old, as the proverb said in Proverbs 23 and, and 7, he says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What your thought pattern is is what and who you are. And this is stated in verse 7 of how he deals with the emotional realm. He deals with our minds. He deals in the area 
area of, of our, um, our, our emotions. He says, but the end of all things is hand. Here's where he gets it. Be therefore sober. Look at that word sober and be watchful unto prayer. He tells us to be sober, sober and to be watchful unto prayer. To be sober means to have a sound and clear mind. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that we are to have a sound and clear mind, not to be under the influence of anything or anyone outside of the word of God. A sober mind is not clouded by false perceptions of life, and it is not tossed to and fro by every wind of opposition and by every wind of doctrines. A person cannot be solid if he's emotionally unstable and he's driven by sense of feelings instead of faith. That is produced by his knowledge of the scripture. I want you to understand something. If you are driven by feelings, you will not make it in this end time. You have to be driven by a sense of faith that has been cultivated and produced by the word of God itself. Can I have an amen? Somebody help me preach right here. Solidarity only comes by standing on the word of God. Matthew 4 and 4 says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us to cast down every evil imagination and every thought and bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Romans 10 and 17 says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want you to know heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. I'm here to tell you that it's the only thing that's sure. It's the only thing that's steadfast. It's the anchor of our hope. We're to eat the word of God like candy. If we're not reading the word, we'll not have the faith to endure because that word produces the faith that's going to give us the ability to stand in the wiles of the enemy and in the days of evil times. You and I have to have the word. Can I have an amen? We're not to be intoxicated by the things of the world just like a drunk or a person that's been strung out on drugs. Their perception of things around them is different and they live in their own world and out of touch with reality. Now this next statement, I was going to, man, this is going to be hard. I want you to Take somebody by the hand and don't let them leave. If they try to, she set yourself back down. That man ain't done preaching yet. Amen. The next statement that I'm about to say could offend many people, and the enemy would love for me to just to bypass it, but it's one of the number one problems that our society is facing today. No one has the guts or no one has the courage to address it. And it's really troubling me. There's a temptation just for me to preach an uplifting message, an encouraging message, an edifying message. But the Bible says that the word of God is profitable for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I'm trying to save some people's lives here today. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm not here to offend you. I'm not here to drive you away. And if you'll listen to the whole message, you'll be comforted. But don't walk out when it begins to hit you at home. Stick with me here today. I would not be a pastor worth the salt if I preached things that would just tickle your ears. There are so many things that's distracting and influencing and causing men to have unsound thinking and un, uh, unclouded mind in these last days. The enemy has set up a lot of things to distract us. I'm going to get into some of them here today. And one of the things that, that is really on the top of the list, it's not the only thing because we'll get into other things here in a minute, but one of the things is the use of marijuana for recreation purposes. It's destroying people's lives. I want you to understand that. Hang with me. Hold on. Amen. 
I was in Buffalo. We would go there on Mondays to eat usually all of us games, and we just are amazed at the, at the marijuana distillery right there beside all the people, tons of people come and go and come. I'm thinking, how many people are smoking weed? It's unbelievable. And it's rich, it's poor, it's black, it's white, it's all kinds of different races. It's young, it's old. You see 70, 80-year-old people going in there. You see the, 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 the wealthy, the, the doctors, the lawyers, the Christians, the non-Christians. Everybody's doing it. And everybody's feeling acceptable because they passed the law. Now, before you walk out on me, let me also say the breakthrough in the medical field where marijuana is actually helping people that have physical maladies, especially children with autism, just like any drug, whether it be cocaine, whether it be morphine or narcotic, I applaud it. I support it. Now, I want to tell you, that also will cause people to get mad at me. I can't believe you just said that. But with the, the truth is, there has always been breakthroughs in the medical field that bring on the use of new drugs. Thank God for them. Can I have an amen? I remember reading articles of when the polio drug come out and when the smallpox drug come out and all those different things. There was so many skeptical and preachers were preaching against it and everything, but it saved people's lives. Can I have an amen? But just like the use of any drug, hang with me, it needs to be prescribed by a doctor and it also needs to be used for physical needs and not just unstable moods and emotions and behaviors that is caused by a lack of disciplines. You cannot treat spiritual things with medical drugs. If you do, you're gonna create something that is destructive for that individual's life. I do not believe in, the, I do believe, I should say, in the use of drugs, but I do not believe in the misuse of drugs. Can I have an amen? Am I clear on that? I'm going to preach here this morning. I'm pastoring here this morning. And people say, why do you deal with such controversial things? Don't you know you could build a bigger congregation if you didn't just get so controversial? And I said, yeah, but the problem of it is, what good does it have a congregation if you got people lost and destroyed by you not preaching the truth? God help us. Drugs causes the loss of reality. It numbs people. It alters their mood, their emotions, their minds of people. It causes a loss of identity of who they are. They, they, they lose clarity of who they are because they have no stamina. It causes them not to be able to function without that drug, and it becomes addictive. Can I, you can get addicted on any kind of drug. Amen. I know people that's been addicted to cough syrup. I knew an old lady drunk it by the gallons. <laughs> Had alcohol in it. They end up where they cannot tolerate anything. They lose their stamina and their ability to sustain mental soundness in the face of prolonged physical or mental challenges. Therefore, they lose their ability to cope in life in the face of real opposition without the influence of that drug. The first time they feel a little pain, the first time they feel a little uneasiness, the first time they feel a little fear, all of a sudden they lose reality that that's normal. I feel pain every day. I'm in pain right now in my back. Come on, somebody. But I don't have to run and get at ease from a joint. I don't have to take a narcotic every time I have a little bit of pain. Can I have an amen? So therefore, these people lose their ability to cope in life in the face of real opposition without the influence of that drug. They get addicted and they lose their ability to learn what it's like to suffer for Christ. God help me. We have all kinds of people that are walking around like zombies, over-medicated, and no one's addressing it. Amen? I ran into one of my close, close friends 
a few weeks ago, I was over in Dexter doing some business. And I was actually preaching a funeral, and I went out to eat, and I ran into this guy, and um, I looked up at him, and our eyes connected, and we got to talking, and he looked so old, and his wife was with him. I began to call him by name, how y'all doing? And he couldn't even talk to me. He just, man, it's good to see you, buddy. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, what's, man, he's burnt out. And his wife was sitting there looking at me, winking at me, and I, I knew what it was. When we were young kids, he just wanted to smoke marijuana. He's never been on cocaine. He's never been on crack. He's never been on meth. None of that kind of stuff that I know of. And he's just always wanted to smoke weed. And he'd always justify and say, man, it's, 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 just, a, it's just like a cigarette. It's not going to harm you. And over a long period of time, what has happened to him, he's got to where he's so dependent upon it, he smoked so much of it that it's literally destroyed his mind. You say whatever you want to say. We, they have not ever told you the long-term effects of certain behaviors. And, this was, and here he is, and I'm sitting there thinking, I've lost my friend just because he couldn't put back a little bit of weed. And he was emotionally just wrapped off. His mind wasn't even right. Matter of fact, it was Jimmy Swagger that made a prophecy. Back in the 1980s, I heard him prophesy himself. He said, there's coming a day in America, the Holy Spirit just spoke to him, he said, that literally that there's going to be factories that's going to struggle and not be able to produce everything they need to produce and they're going to struggle financially. Some of them will shut down because they will not be able to find a workforce due to the fact that people are going to be strung out on drugs to the point they can't function. He prophesied that in the 1980s. People called him crazy. It's happening right now before your eyes. Bosses are saying that they can never depend upon workers that are on those kinds of drugs due to their mood swings. It affects their judgments, their drive, their thinking, their performance. It slows down their reactions. It causes them not to be alert. Their thinking, their vision, and their perception is blurred from reality, and they become controlled and enslaved by the mood-alterating drug. They see changes in these people sometimes, though. They tell me, I have all kinds of people telling me this. They said they'll go to work and this guy's irritable. He's, he's just mad. He's just upset and he's, he's on edge. He's frenzied. He's just kind of shaking and all this kind of a thing until he goes to break and then he comes back and he's a total different person. Or he goes to lunch and he comes back after lunch. He's a total different person. Why? He went and got him a fix. Lord, help us. We as a society are better than that. I don't need a drug, I need Jesus. I don't need a drug, I need Jesus. If you don't need a drug and you need Jesus, stand to your feet and give Jesus praise. Come on, somebody. You take away the drug from some of these people, you have an angry, hostile, unbalanced, deranged, and unhinged person. You can't get along with them. The person that has physical maladies, they may need a drug. It's okay. If there's a physical problem, then yes, and there's even mental health. Sometimes they gotta have something to help them. I'm not against it as long 
as it is a mental health issue and not an undiscipline in their lives to where what happens is sometimes we don't discern the two. Some things don't need to be counseled out. They need to be cast out. Can I have an amen? There needs to be an anointing and there needs to be truth to these people. Now, I want to tell you, we're trying to medicate undisciplined lives a lot of times and we're medicating things that is spiritual and not physical and it's destroying people. Can I have an amen? These people live their whole lives deceived and they never live a wholesome, overcoming, victorious life. For many, it's not a thing of deliverance. It's a thing of just disciplining yourself. Can I have an amen? What you see out of a lot of people is what the drug dictates to them. So everything they do, everything they are, depends upon how much of drug they have in their life. And this is why that you never know what to expect when you see certain people because they have too much emotional coaster rides in their life. They're up and down because of a lack of drug, too much of drug, or whatever. And you know what the Bible calls them? Unstable souls. They're not emotionally stable. And I'm here to bring some soundness to this body today. Many of you out there, this is a hard sermon for you. You know why? Because you're dealing with it in your home. Maybe dealing with it in your personal life. We're not here to club you. We're here to say, hey, we want to help you. To free. We're here to help free you. We're here to really help you. Amen? However, now let me get on some broader things. There are many things that cause us to get out of touch to reality to God, and it's not just alcohol. It's not just drugs. It's not just controlled substances. It's not just pornography. We now have the influence of the mass media the entertainment industry, social media, the broadcast, news broadcast, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. If you got a kid on TikTok, get them off. Amen? Now, there's other things such like that. These things are used to accelerate the end times. And let me say, most of them are relatively new. Facebook's only 19 years old. Twitter's 17 years old. TikTok is seven years old. And we are just now seeing what they produce and what they cause us to reap. We're just now beginning to see it. These things, if you don't believe me, go look at the people that are out protesting things that are so ungodly, so out of line, and I'm not going to start naming them, and they don't even know why they're out there. It's all being brainwashed by a media. These things also have adverse effects on our minds and influence us as well, and it causes us to lose reality. And the dangerous thing about it is, this is where most people spend their time, believers and unbelievers. It's true. I've been guilty of it. Come on, let's get real. The Lord's really critiquing the body of Christ right now. It's a shame when our news is no longer a good journal about good journalism but now it's narratives that is driven by political agendas and by worldly propaganda. And the main goal is seduce, deceive, and to get you to buy into their narrative and embrace false information, and it's called indoctrination, and it's called brainwashing. That's what it's called. Paul describes this in 2 Timothy 3, 7 about the last days. These people are ever learning, but they're never able to come to the real knowledge of truth. Oh, they're learning all kinds of things. They're getting taught all kinds of stuff. Our, our colleges and universities are warped. Paul mentioned this again in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11 and 12. And for this cause, God should send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie and they should be damned who believe not the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. He says God just lets them go over into their own lust. 
He lets them do what's inconvenient. And what happens? They believe lies and they become damned and they have pleasure in unrighteousness because they will not adhere to the word of God to say that's wrong. That's not right. That's not healthy. That's not spiritual. That's got other stuff tied to it. Don't do it. Can I have an amen? Everything in the last days is revolving around the spirit of this age. It's called worldliness, and it's coming from the very throne of iniquity itself. It is perpetrated by the devil himself, who's the prince and the power of the air. Listen to what his name is. He is controlling the airways, and he is infiltrating the minds of people with false information. The airways is controlled. It's manipulated and designed by the father of lies, the devil himself, and you cannot trust it. You can't even trust your news. Hello? Am I the only one understanding this? There's only one truth that you can depend upon. In the last days, there cannot be a multiple variety of information sources. There can only be one source, and it's called the Word of God. Anything that isn't biblically based or aligns itself with the Word of God, flee from it. Don't embrace it. Don't believe it. I don't care who says it. Even if I say something that ain't biblically true, don't believe me. Amen? When it comes to things of the soul and the mind, Peter also said in our text in verse 7, be watchful to prayer. Now, I won't spend a lot of time here because we're very repetitious about preaching and teaching the importance of prayer. We've been praying for four years on Wednesday night. We're trying to get people to pray. we got prayer groups all over the place, and I'm thankful you are a praying church. Applaud and give God praise for the prayer that's going on in the house of God. We know the prayerless soul is across the soul. We know that 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says pray without ceasing. That's how much emphasis he put on prayer. Continually pray. Pray, pray, pray. Jude verse 20 says building up your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. In these latter days, we gotta have faith, guys, because everything is preaching about there's a departure of the faith. Our faith's gotta be on solid ground. And we gotta know who we believe and what we believe and, why, and who we believe in and why we believe in him. We gotta have an answer for the hope that lieth within us. Can I have an amen? Matter of fact, we are to be watchful under prayer. We're to be alert, we're to be sober, we're not to be ignorant, and we're to pray about those things. Paul said in Philippians 4 and 4, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't be anxious, fearful, worried, and fretful. We have too much of that in the body of Christ. We have people panicking. We have people just, oh, oh, things are so bad. And they're nervous and they're biting their fingernails and they're watching every little bit of news broadcasting and they're taking in stuff and they're so fretful because they're getting all these sources in their mind. It's not healthy. Paul even said, if you're gonna think on things, think on the things that are just and holy and pure and of good report and if there be virtue, if there be praise, think on these things. Don't be listening to all that garbage. It's all right to be informed. But don't get indoctrinated. Don't get over-possessed with it. Don't be worried and fretful. But he says, in everything, say everything. That's a big word, isn't it? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. If there's concerns and worries in your life, take them to the throne. Take them to God. Vent them. Reveal them. Talk to him about them. I do. God, I'm concerned. I've been fearful. I don't know why, but I feel like this. I don't know if this feeling's false or not. I don't know if it's from you or not. But God, this is the way I feel. And when you begin to talk to the Father about it, it ain't long until he comes and he confirms his will in your life. Paul said everything must start with prayer and end with prayer, but in everything by prayer. Jesus prayed more than anything else that he did in his life. He went into solitary places and he spent time with the Father. Did you know he spent more time in prayer than anything? He even said, my house will be called the house of prayer. But you made it a den of thieves. If Jesus had to pray, how much more do you and I have to pray? Let's really be honest. 
If Jesus had to pray, how much more do you and I have to pray? The more we see the end times happening, we have to pray so much the more. Jesus didn't pray about things. He brought things about by prayer. And if you're going to have a sober mind and if you're going to be spiritual and alert in these last days of illusion and falsehoods, then you have to learn how to pray. And it don't have to be, oh, the most beautiful, eloquent. Just talk to him the way you'd talk to anybody. That's how God You don't have to feel anything. Just flop down and say, Father, this is Kent. Man, I'm worried about something. I don't know why, but, man, I see all this happening. And Lord, they say they're taking our guns. They say they're going to possess our houses. They say they're going to do this. They're going to do that. Oh, God. And they say the end time's coming. There's going to be a famine of food. And, and there's, oh, God. Tell him about it. Tell him how you feel. Pray about it. And you'll find the source of prayer will always bring the peace of God in your life. Not only did Peter in our text make regard to our soulless realm and our minds, but he also deals with us regarding the relationships. And I want to be honest, this is where the Lord really laid it in my heart. This is more on this point than any other point. I'll try not to be long in it. I'll try to be blunt to the point and not be over repetitious. Um, Jenny says, Kent, you always try to drive your point home and you tell it 10 different ways. We get it the first time, Kent. I said, you might, but I've known John, Ben, and Sam Hatton. I like to pick on them a little bit. As a matter of fact, there is more warfare and strain on relationships than anything else. I'm being honest. One of the end time events that is revealed in Jesus' own teaching, this is Jesus saying this. This is what he says in Matthew 24, 10. And then shall many be offended and shall portray one another and shall hate one another. This is a prophetic word that is hanging over the church. He's talking about the believer. And he's literally saying that in the, when the end time heats up, when you get in the strong sense of the battle of it, there's going to be people in this church betray one another. They're going to offend one another. Think about that. That's what Jesus says. He warns us so that you and I don't have to allow that to happen to us. He's not giving that as if, oh, it's going to happen regardless of what you do. No, he's saying, don't let this happen. Can I have an amen? The stress and the strain that is upon the world, the end times, is causing relational tensions like crazy and even racial tensions. And the spirit of the age is out to divide us because he knows the house that is divided against itself, it can't stand. This is the real war we're in. The real war is not with the believers outside as much as it is the frame of mind that we have one toward another. It's about the continuity, the unity, and the heart of the church. Come on, somebody. And one of the things it says is that in the last days, many of you are going to offend one another. How's that going to happen? And then he gives us an answer in Matthew 13 about the parable of the sower of the seed of what's going to offend. He says, and because of the word, many are offended and they back off from the truth. My message today can be in your face. It can be a message that's really stern and it can be sometimes prick. Sometimes it can cut. But the truth of the matter is this. I'm not preaching it to offend you but only you are the one that's got to control whether or not you would adhere to the word of God, crucify all those different thoughts, bring every thought into captivity, you'll be in Christ, and live, or you can die by being offended. Come on. And here's why people are offended. 
Somebody will take a topic, a preacher will. He'll preach truth about that topic. He'll be stern about that topic. Though he's preaching to love, he's trying to save people's lives. And all of a sudden, some grandparents say, my grandchild's dealing with that. And they'll get mad at that preacher because the thing they're preaching against is the very thing that's crept in their home and they've learned to embrace it and accept it. And sometimes even enable it. And now when the preacher preaches against it, you feel guilt. And it feels like that if you go against that, you're going against your own blood kin. And now you think, well, preacher, he's always, you know, and you get mad and really you don't really understand why you're mad. If you got a kid that's got a drinking problem and I get up and preach on drinking and you've learned to accept it and tolerate it, and you've learned to enable it even by helping giving money and her money, then I get up and preach on such things as drunkenness or drinking, it can easily offend you. I could take any topic you want me to take and it would also be true. Come on. And what we gotta do is understand we're not here to browbeat anybody. We're here to tell people truth so they can be set free. Those people that are entangled with the things of this world and those that have got addictions, we have to preach truth if they're ever gonna be delivered because only the truth can set you free. Can I have an amen somewhere? I'm here to help somebody. I don't know who it is. <laughs> My heart aches for people. My heart aches for I see Families really dealing with heart issues. Heart issues. And yet you're always to love your children or your grandchildren. You're never to cast them off. You're never to throw them away. But yet on the flip side of the coin, you have to make stands sometimes against them. Can I have an amen? That's their only hope. There's more relational conflicts now than there's ever been in the world and people are on edge about everything. I've never seen it like this. I said this to a brother not too long ago. I said, man, you've been on my mind lately. I've been praying for you, buddy. He said, oh, great. His response was, oh, great. Everybody thinks something's wrong with you. You think something's wrong with me? I thought, yeah, I do now. <laughs> I just encourage him. Hey, man, I'm praying for you, brother. You've been on my mind. Oh, I've been on your mind. You're telling me there's just something wrong with me. <laughs> if you think that's bad, how about this one? Went up to a little lady and said, boy, you look so pretty today. Now, how many think that would be a compliment? <laughs> oh, you're saying that most of the time I don't look pretty? You're saying that most of the time I'm ugly? <laughs> Are you serious? I mean, we're on edge about everything. A person can't even win sometimes. And here's what's happening because of that. Here's what the church is doing. We're afraid to say anything. You say stuff now, it goes over line. Somebody's suing you. You hurt their feelings. You're a hateful person. You're spreading discord. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm preaching? It's real. It's true. But if the church becomes silenced because of fear, we lose the hope of the harvest. 
I was watching one of a news broadcast kind of a thing that's on Kenneth Copeland station. It's called Flashpoint. I watch it every Tuesday night and Thursday night. They were in California, and there was a big auditorium of a famous pastor, a wonderful man of God, speaking his mind. He's the one that stood up against the COVID things, and they were going to throw him in jail. It went all the way, I guess, to the Supreme Court, and they said, no, this man has a right to be able to keep his church open because he's essential for the community. Give him praise for standing up. Amen. Give the Lord praise. The people gathered from all over the world there, and, uh, man, there was... Uh, I, I can't think of his name right now, but he's a great little uh, conservative, and he, he preached a message, man. And he come along the, the signs when it come to the abortion issue. Um, there, there was things he would say, and that whole place would erupt, and they'd all stand up, and they'd just go crazy. He'd say something else, they'd stand up, and they'd go crazy. And he got to the abortion issue, and when he did, he said it, and everybody applauded. But they was afraid to stand up and take a stand against it. You know why? Because the government's coming against those that's taking a stand against abortion. They even sent spies into the Catholic Church to try to spy them out. This, this ain't petty stuff. So what did it do? That whole church should have come alive when he stood against abortion. They should not have been afraid, but it was on camera, it was on television, and they knew it. And they knew if they got up and if they, if they went too far with it, they don't know who's watching and who may come to attack them. This is real stuff, what I'm preaching today. Sometimes we just can't win because we're afraid. Strained relationships can and will hinder spiritual progress. Did you hear that? We can't have strained relationships in the body of Christ. We know that we're to forgive one another or our Heavenly Father won't forgive us. How many knows that? We know that if we have ought against a brother or we know that a brother has ought against us, either way, that we're to leave our gift at the altar, we're to leave our prayers there, and then we're to go back and try to make it right with that individual. How many know that? That's what the Bible says. First Peter 3 and 7 says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife and to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together in the grace of life, that your prayers not be not hindered. He's saying your prayers can be hindered if you're feuding and fighting with your wife. And even though we are to strive to even have good relationships with everyone, even the non-believer were to strive for that. Romans 12 and 18 says, If it possible, as much life within you, live peaceable with all men. The Bible even says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessories, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that live in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. The Bible tells us that we're, trying to, we're supposed to have, try to have good relationships with everybody. And though we strive to live in harmony with everyone, yet sometimes it's totally impossible with the non-believer because they won't allow you to. It, sometimes it's just impossible. That's why that he said over here in that first verse of scripture that I gave you, I think it was out of, yeah, Romans 12 and 18, if it's possible as much as lies with you. Sometimes it's not possible to have uh, harmony with the people of the world, especially now. You know why? Because the gray areas are cutting out and everything's right or wrong. Everything's either light or darkness. And they've made that distinction. And I want to tell you, though we love the world, the world hates us. Amen. Our text, however, is dealing with relationships, not with the world, but it's dealing with the relationships in the household of faith. It's not dealing with the sinner. It's not dealing with the ungodly, the unregenerated. He's saying these relationships I'm talking about are dealing with the church. Look at our text in verse 8 and 9. And above all things, here he's showing you the importance. Say above all things. 
Now, if I come to my sons, I say, this is a list of things to do. I come to the end, I say, but above all things, if you don't get any of these other things done, this is above everything, you get this done. That's what Peter's saying here. He's saying everything that is ever told to you about the end time, this is above all things. This is how important it is. Have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. That's a powerful word. Now, we're in the end times. We're fighting for our lives, and Peter wants to deal with this. Hey, man, we're having all kinds of these problems, and Peter's saying, them, that's what's coming upon the earth, but this is how you deal with it right here. Though relationships can be strained in the world, yet they should never have tension, stress, strain, strife in the house of God. This place ought to be a place of liberty. It ought to be a refuge. Come on, somebody. It ought to be a place of healing. There ought to be a balm of Gilead in the house of God. Oh, somebody help me preach. People should not be on edge in their relationships with fellow brothers and sisters. Sometimes you can just walk in a room and you just feel the tension. Ooh, I feel it. How many's found that to be true? There should not be tension in the household of faith. When a person comes in the house of God, he ought to come in singing. He ought to come in glad. He ought to be coming happy. Come on, there shouldn't be tension in the house of God. There shouldn't be strain. There shouldn't be stress. Everybody shouldn't be sitting around worried about so-and-so and how they're gonna react to you that day. In the last days, it's imperative that we cultivate good and strong relationships with each other, especially as fellow believers. It's necessary, Peter says, for your survival. We need each other. We need accountability. We need edification. We need encouragement. We need correction. We need instruction. We need love. We need forgiveness. Come on, somebody. To live the Christian life in the middle of these last day events is going to be extremely difficult without good fellowship with like-minded believers. Come on. When the early church was being persecuted, their strength is found in Scripture. Scripture such as Acts 2, verse 44 and 47. Look at 44. Now all who believe were together, say together, had all things common. Wouldn't you love to get a group of people that's together? Wouldn't you love, you know, even, even when we took mission trips, we only had about 45, and I thought, Lord, I'll never take this big a crowd again. Always somebody fighting somebody, somebody didn't like this and somebody didn't like that. And then verse 47 says, and they continued daily with one accord, say one accord. And they done it in the temple. They gathered together in the temple daily with one accord, breaking bread from house to house, say house to house. They eat their meat with gladness, say gladness. Say not sadness, but gladness. And singleness of heart, say singleness of heart. Praising God, say praising God. And having favor, say favor, with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You remember on the day of Pentecost, everybody wants a Pentecostal explosion. I believe we're going to have one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting there, appeared in them, clothed in tongues of fire, and set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Okay, notice the first word. 
And they were in all one accord in one place. That's why the power fell. They were together in unity. They had singleness of heart. They had the same mind. They had the same goal, the same agenda. Come on, somebody. You know what Psalms 133 says? Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to his skirts. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded blessings even forevermore. And when you put that in the right context, it says the anointing starts from the head. It starts from the head, which is Christ. It come down upon the priest, which was Aaron, and it come down his beard, and that anointing is to go all the way through the body. You being the body, the church of the living God. The priesthood being the ministry and Jesus being the head. That anointed of Jesus, his name Jesus means the anointed one. That anointing is to go through the priest, the leadership of the church, and the people ought to follow through by being in one heart and in one mind and in one accord and the anointing is to sweep over that congregation and it is the anointing that breaks the yoke and the power of sin. Hallelujah. I wish I could preach here for about an hour. We can't have a harvest without being in unity. The early church was in one accord. They had singleness of heart. They had favor one with another. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Philippians. Hard work right here. Philippians 2, and I'll be closing in just a minute. Verse 2 through 5. Fulfill you my joy. Paul's saying, make me joyful. Don't make me sad. Don't let me have to deal with you like I've had to deal with the Corinthians and all that, please. Fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, one mind. Man, he hits a lot. You know what kind of preaching's right there in verse two? I started going after these things. The Lord said, no, 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 you got too much. Stop. He's telling you be like-minded. Have the same love. Be of one accord. Be of one mind. Then he says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. If we're ever gonna fight about anything, this is what I want you to fight about. Who can bless the other one the most? If you'll get your mind off of your petty issues, and start looking out at the interest of somebody else, your petty issues will take care of themselves. Come on, somebody. Amen? My wife is always one of the greatest servants. Man, I tell you, she's just a fine lady. I brag on her, and I'm gonna brag on her. You wouldn't believe what that woman does for me. She takes care of me, I'm telling you. And you know, it's a blessing to be on the receiving end. But I want to tell you, if you're really spiritual, you'll try to be on the other end as well. I love my wife, and I thank her for everything she's doing for me. Folks, these last days events is going to try us. I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to you fact. I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to give you a solution to what we're to do when it happens. Amen? There's going to be stressful events. There's going to be hard, difficult times. There's going to be some very challenging situations in, in, in the next few years. There's going to be strong temptations, overwhelming pull of, at our emotions. There's going to be loss. There's going to be heart hurt. 
There's going to be sorrowful times, disappointments, frustrations. There's going to be some scary times. There's going to be times that we don't even understand. And if there's ever a time that we're going to need each other, it's during those times. This is not a time to be at odds. It's not a time to have friction. It's not a time to be on edge. It's not a time to be going around with your chip on your shoulder. I don't want any ever-ready battery commercials in the church. Come on, I dare you, knock it off. You got to be old to understand that one. Amen? There's some people that they can't survive unless there's drama. They'll come in and where there's harmony, they got to stir up something. They got to say something because they're on edge about everything. And they just can't live without drama. Stop the drama. We don't need the drama. We need unity. We need singleness of heart. We need the same love one for another. We got to think about the needs of others more than the needs of ourselves. Come on, somebody. This is why we have to unite together. We have to pull together. We have to be in unity. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can fit 10,000 flight. Think about what 800 of us can do. They say that there's strength in numbers. That's only true if those numbers are unified. Amen. You can have a big crowd and not have strength in it. You know what's wrong with America right now? You know why we're, we're, we're falling? You know why our nation's going down? Because we're not unified. You can't get people together. On a, you can't get the Democrats and the Republicans to believe on anything. They'll argue what size of toilet paper to put in the restrooms. It's ludicrous of the tensions. This is why that we're exhorting in Hebrews 10, 25, not to forsake the assemblies of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see that they approaching. When somebody tries to live their Christian life alone, they, are, they face tremendous odds. When their friends are only, uh, only non-Christians, it's almost impossible for them to be able to survive in these last days. Because I want to tell you, the pressures of the last days, the trials, the temptations, the persecution, the deception, it's going to take its toll on all of us. Are you listening to me? When those antichrist spirits keep pounding and agitating and aggravating and frustrating and, and seducing and lying and tempting and trying to get you, it, it, can, we can, it can wear anyone down. It can wear some of the greatest men and women of God down. We have to have the support and the undergirding of the Christian brothers and sisters to refresh us, to sharpen us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to correct us, to warn us. We got to have help. We need each other in order to resist the devil and his ungodly agendas that he's pushing through the unregenerated population of the world. The world as a whole right now has bought into the woke mentality of the world. And guess what? Through relationships with people of the world, we got to have them. We got to show ourselves friendly. But those same people are bringing that woke stuff right to our ears. They're bringing it in our churches. They're bringing it into our schools. They're bringing it into our very homes. Those of you that's got non-Christians in your life, I guarantee you they are in, there's a certain amount of wokeism in every single one of them. There's a certain belief. There's certain statements they'll say. And if you buy into that stuff, it'll destroy you. Come on, I'm being honest. We have to be willing to lo be looking and watching after one another. We are our brother's keeper. I'm going to close because I feel like I'm just losing you. I ain't going to get to my third point. My third point is he goes on and tells us also that the gift that God has given to you, you've got to keep working in the last days. You can't stop ministry because of the last days. 
You can't shut the church down. You can't be afraid. You got to keep preaching. You got to keep teaching. And your giftedness is not only be to the harvest, but in this context, he's telling the gift that I've given to you, the gifts of helps, the gifts of the nine gifts of the spirit, all the different gifts that are mentioned in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said, take those gifts and minister one to another with them. They need it. The body needs it. The hand can't say to the arm, I don't have need of you. The foot can't say to the leg, I don't have any need of you. That's what Paul said. I need you. You need me. We got to be together in this thing. I may have to come and knock at your door at 2 o'clock in the morning and cry and say, man, I'm overwhelmed. Brother, sister, would you pray for me? Come on, somebody. I may, I may even as a minister fall under the load sometimes and have to find some good brothers and sisters that ain't going to judge me. Well, you're supposed to be strong forever. I need somebody to come up and pick me up and say, come on, brush it off. It's okay. Get back up. You're still a man of God. You had a little nervous breakdown there for a minute, but uh, we're, here to, we're here to pick you up. Now, I'm not prophesying that, nor am I going to have a nervous breakdown. I'm using it as an example. Any of us can succumb to a moment of weakness where we fall apart as the stuff keeps pounding in our lives. Everywhere I go right now, I've been tempted just to, I mean, I've got to watch what I say. No matter who I try to encourage, it's just like I said a while ago, boy, you look pretty today. Well, why are you saying? Most of the time I'm ugly. Wow. Some of you are laughing at that, but it's happening all over the place. People are on edge. Why are they on edge? Because there's a spirit behind it. It's not them. It's the spirit of the age. It's heavy. It's spreading tension it's a spirit of warfare. It's warring against sound minds. It's trying to make, get unstable souls to collapse and abandon the faith. And every time somebody gets weak and they're about to abandon their faith, oh, Mike there, he says under a battle and he's just, you know, Everything's tearing up. Everything's falling apart. Everything's going bad. The kids are sick and grandkids are sick and this one's gone astray and this has happened and that's happened and the finances has fell out and on and on and on. It just keeps on. All of a sudden, he just gets weak. So I don't know how much more I can take. It's at that point. Somebody be in prayer and watchful. Come along. Hey, buddy. Come here. Come over to my dwelling for a while. Let this anointing that comes down. Woo. It's communicable. Let it rub off on you. Come on, somebody. We're here together. We're here. We're dancing together. You better believe we are. We're going to turn your sorrow into joy. We're here to help you. If I have to hold your hands up for an hour, if I have to carry you on my shoulders, if I have to stay here until I see a breakthrough, that's what we're going to do. We're going to war with one another. We're not fighting with one another, but we're going to war together as grace of the manifold grace of God. We'll love each other. When someone sins, love covers the multitude. It's all right. Brush it off. Come on. You made a mistake. Let's go. Don't sit there and be condemned about it. Let's go. We'll bring discipline to it. Come on. It may hinder your progress for a little bit. You'll go into the discipline area. It's all right. But you'll gain. Would you stand with me today? I preach my heart to you.
I've never seen so much affliction, grief, sorrow, tragedy. Man, every day I deal with it as a pastor. Randy, Josh, Melody, Terry, Mallory, I'm forgetting somebody, Steve, Zach. We, all, we, we deal with stuff in ministry that no one even knows. We, we know things about families that no one knows. And sometimes when somebody comes in here and they just got something on their mind and they don't say hi to you, ah, she don't even speak to me. They ain't t- trying to ignore you. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what's captivated their minds. You don't know what's in their hearts. You don't know what they're dealing with at home. For heaven's sakes, folks, be compassionate one to another. Be long-suffering and caring. Be a Christian. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Love one another as Christ loved you and does love you. We've been together for 37 years. I've been your pastor 37 years. And from the very onslaught of Ninth and Cedar, I went in and the first thing I had was conflict. There's just a handful of us. I get done preaching on my first sermon. And here's how I had to tell them I was their pastor, which I thought was unfair. 22 years old, green as a gourd. My overseer calls me and says, well, I'm appointing you the pastor of the Poplar Bluff Church. You just tell them when you get over there this morning. I'd been filling in. I thought, whoo, that ain't gonna go over very good. I get up, I preach my sermon, and I said, well, I want you to know the overseer's appointed me as your pastor today. It's such a delight for me and Jenny to be your pastor. We wanna be here for you, we wanna be, and I give this big spill. At the end of the service, I walk down to the end of the hallway, there's a lady sitting there. I reach out and grab her hand. She said, you go back to where you come from. You come from Dudley. Nothing good come from Dudley. I said, "Woo! we got a loving church. You know what I done? Immediately, I didn't get offended. I grabbed her and I gave her a Miller hug. And this is what I said to her. You can't not love me. You don't know me yet. And I'm so lovable, I'm irresistible. And you're going to learn to love me. That's what I told her. That lady became a lady that helped raise my children and loved me to death. She would die for me. Back in those days, when a minister would go to camp meeting, there's always changing churches. And I'd get ready to go, and she said, you ain't going nowhere, and I want you to know you're not going nowhere. You understand me? And when somebody says something out of the way, just give them a bear hug. Eat them up with love. Come on, somebody. That's what you do. Don't, don't retaliate. Well, I'll never speak to that person again. What kind of man of God? If you only love those that love you, what reward have you? Love the unlovable, the obnoxious, the mean-spirited one. Just love them. You know why? Because you heap hot coals of fire upon their head. I want to tell you, it hurts a lot more to have someone love you when you're unlovable than when if somebody reaches back and gives you the right hand of fellowship on your right cheek. Why? Because you just proved to them you're no better than them. 
that you succumb also to your emotion and to your feelings. We're not to live on our feelings. No matter what you do to me, I'm gonna choose to love you. I may not like you, but I'm gonna love you. And I'm gonna do everything I can to help you in your tragedy that's to the one, whatever's buffeting you to become like that and cause you to be that kind of a person, I'm out to set you free. That's my job. That's the job of every believer here today. We're together, aren't we? We've been together for 37 years. The Spirit of the Lord had put it in my heart. Something was wrong. And I thought, God, what is it? So I went into prayer about it. And I feel like that the enemy, and though I've not seen any sign of it, the enemy was trying to, well, I've seen some, because you always have a little, but I felt like the enemy was trying to bring schism to the body. And I feel like that there was going to be accusations, false information begin to start spread. And people would begin to not like their leadership. And that there'd be tension in the body. I felt it. And I knew it in my spirit. Right after that, I get a text from a prophet that claims to be a prophet, and I believe they are prophetic. He said, Dear Brother Miller, I was praying today, and the Lord laid it on my heart that there's a tendency of maybe some people to rise up and not like leadership. That there would be a spirit that would try to get involved in the church, that try to wreck it, to try to divide it, and it would make tensions flare all over the place, and people would take sides. Said there, there's a real effort by the enemy to destroy what's happened at the palace because you're at the edge of a breakthrough like you've never going to have in your life. And said the enemy's not going to just sit back and let it happen. He's going to try you. I'm warning you. When that starts happening, say, I'm not going to be used of the devil. Amen. One of the seven abominations is discord among the brethren. It's worse than adultery. You're whispering and you're talking about people. Well, you know, don't say anything, but brother, brother Mike over there. That's worse than adultery and God hates it. Adultery is not one of the abominations of God. Come on, somebody. Murder ain't even listed in that. Bill, it's serious. The end time thrust is a war upon the body. It's a war. He, he's won over the world. The woke mentality is spreading like wildfire. He's backed off that. Now he's saying, I'm coming after the church. Guard yourself. Be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. I am preaching to you a prophetic warning from the Lord. This is not for us to fear. It's not for us to say, oh, great. This is for us to bring correction and love to the body, guard out for one another, and when you see anything that would cause division, do everything you can to stop it, to pray over it and love it, but don't get involved with it. Can I have an amen? Be ye steadfast, unmovable, unshakable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and the love of the Lord. For those that labor are not laboring in vain to them that love the Lord. Keep preaching. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep ministering. Keep a sober mind. Don't be intoxicated by anything. Watch what you listen to. Watch your influences. Watch what you take into your head. The, watch what kind of little statements that seem clever, doctrines of devils and fables and endless geologies and all that stuff that they sound right and they sound proper, but they're of a worldly nature. Know the difference or it'll destroy you. 
Those of you that are men in your, in your seat, those of you that are women, you might have to step out. I want you to hug two or three people and tell them you love them. Just do that right now. Men, hug men. Women, hug women. Yeah. 